And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. This podcast is brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. And with that, I want to bring you in and welcome you to the latest edition of 1% Better. I'm Stephen Holder, here with Zach Kiefer, and there's been news because the NFL is always making news. Uh, the Colts haven't played a game in, what, three weeks? Uh, they There are teams playing games, not them, but there have been games being played. They haven't played one, uh, but they stay in the news. And so we're here to sort of update you on what's going on and sort of bring some context to some of this. Um Zach, let's just start right off the top. Um, the, the big news, I think, in recent days has obviously been uh, Matt Eberflus becoming head coach of the Chicago Bears. That's a big boy job, by the way, Yeah, <laughs> for, uh, for a guy who uh, fans had a lot of mixed feelings about. So good for him. Um, I, I just want to start by talking about just – I just wondered – I kind of wonder what kind of – head coach he'll be. Just like last year, I wondered how it would work for Nick Sirianni. And he ended up having a, a decent amount of success. You know, we'll see. You can say easy schedule, whatever. But I mean, look, they made the playoffs. They had a winning record with a team that was in the in in a morass last year, last season. And so here, Matt Eberflus. Um, he's a defensive guy taking over a team with a young quarterback. I mean, I, I actually have some thoughts on him, but I'll, I'll give you the floor first um just right off the top i mean what do you think surprised by this and and what how do you think this might go yeah i am surprised and, and i want to get your thoughts as well and and i was surprised last year when sirianni got the the eagles job to be Same. honest I, I i always thought eberfluss would get one before but i'm surprised that this fits and i'm, the, I'm surprised the chicago bears went defense with their head coach but but look you know, Matt Eberflus's scheme was often criticized in Indianapolis. I understand that it can be exasperating at times, right? You're going to give up a lot of yards. You're going to give up a lot of completions, a lot of easy completions. And it, when it was bad, it was ugly, right? That that Jacksonville game last year where they gave Gardner Minshew, I think it was like 19 to 21. And then early this season, they couldn't stop anybody. But the issues this year, I felt, were more personnel-based than they were coaching. And Eberflus's defense does, if it does anything right, it does this. It takes the ball away, right? It it takes the ball away the second most of any defense dating back to 2018. This was the banner year, right? 33 takeaways. Um, and that's even with the, the last two games where the Colts didn't play very well on defense. So he's going to have a job in Chicago. That's going to be a tough gig. You've got a young talent at quarterback in, in Justin Fields. I don't know if we know how good Justin Fields is, but – you know, in talking a little bit with Dave Borgonzi over the weekend, who will follow Matt Eberflus to Chicago, you know, they've got some pieces there on defense that they like. They don't have a Darius Leonard, you know, but they do have Roquan Smith, who's really good. They do have Khalil Mack, 
there's talent at all three levels of that defense. So they're not starting from scratch on that side of the ball. But the question is, is what do they do with Justin Fields? But, you know, shifting it back home to Indianapolis, this is going to be the most coaching staff turnover we've ever seen under Frank Wright, right? I mean, this is going to be, you know, as somebody told me over the weekend, a clean slate for this defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I'll, I'll take the ball and start with uh, just Eberflus as a head coach. I, I agree that the the fit wasn't necessarily one that I expected. I mean, we knew he was, he was a finalist, so it's not shocking. A- after the fact, it wasn't shocking. But uh, I, I did think the Bears might consider an offensive coach. Uh, on the other hand, they just fired an offensive coach, and it, yeah. was, it was not very successful. And, you know, so who knows? I, I think that's the thing. What I'll say is this. If you take the offense-defense aspect out of this and I know that's hard when you're talking about you know a young quarterback when you see Joe Burrow doing what he's doing and, look at and, the two coaches in the Super Bowl yeah yeah those are quarterback guys right so I know it's hard to take that out of it but if you do just for a moment put that aside I do think that Matty Berflus has head coach qualities and absolutely he, he definitely does and and one of the things that I'll just say it at this point, it's not some secret, but like Chris Ballard was telling me recently about him. He said, you know, he said he is an adult. He said he's a professional. And I know that sounds cliche, and it maybe is, but it's also true. Um, I, I think that one of the things that he has going for him is that he's just a very serious person. And his his players, I think they they absorb that. They get that from him. And he, he gets... I think he's gotten a lot of good performances out of some some players uh, that we weren't sure about. You know, we weren't sure what Kenny Moore was when he showed up. You know, and in fact, after his rookie season, there were times when I was like, "Get this kid off the field! He's terrible." And then he just took off in Matty Berflus' system, and it's not just X's and O's; it's also getting guys to believe and to. And to understand what they're capable of, too. You know, that's a big part of coaching. He was able to do that. Uh, he got guys to buy in, you know, and that's a hard thing to do, when, especially when you're not the head coach. He really got guys to buy in. So I think he has a chance. I think that he'll have success in getting his team on board. The question is going to be, what are you going to do on offense, you know, and, and how are you going to get this quarterback going? I, I know that he talked to guys like Pep Hamilton, for example, for that offensive coordinator position. What does that tell me? quarterback guy, right? They get it. They understand what this is going to take. But the more important issue for the Colts, uh, the more relevant issue for our podcast, as you said, is is the staff. There's no question. Uh, there's some good coaches in there. I think Dave Borgonzi is a good coach. I think James Rowe may or may not be going, I think. but it sounds, sounds like, like he, he is. Be. Sounds like yeah. Alan Williams. Yeah. I, I don't uh, think any of them are going to be back, to be honest. Yeah. And, and I get it, okay? Like, if you are a defensive coach and – on, on this staff, and your defense coordinator gets a head coaching job, and he wants you to come and start new with him in Chicago, you got to really consider that. I mean, you're going to get a new defense coordinator coming in. He may have other hires he wants to make. So just for self-preservation, I get it. I get it. It's like if you anybody who's worked in corporate America, right? When your boss leaves and gets a prime job somewhere else, and if he wants you to, if he or she wants you to come with them, you got to give that some thought, and that happens all the time. This is the exact same thing. So I I get it. You don't know who's going to take over, who's going to be in charge, who you'll be working for. I get it. But 
I think the Colts are going to feel this. I, I really do. I think there's, it may ultimately be fine, but let's not pretend there won't be some transition here. Uh, these guys, I think James Rowe in particular, look what he did, I thought, with Rocky Asin this year and, and getting Isaiah Rodgers to be a competent player. I mean, that's coaching too, you know, and it's growth individually, but it's coaching. And I thought Alan Williams has done a great job with the safeties, uh, the way he's developed guys like Julian Blackman. The injury is tough, but there's no question that kid was ready to roll when when he got a chance to get on the field. And so coaching has obviously played a role in that. Um, you know, just let's let's talk. Let's roll this forward now. So they've got to replace Matt Eberflus. Um, they're talking to some interesting names. We know about Jim Schwartz. Yeah, I, I think that one definitely got my attention. Um, I'll give uh, a nod to our our colleague Joel Erickson at the Indy Star. I think he's I think he's the only one reporting this. Uh, Gus Bradley is on the list now. Uh, Chris Richard, who if you have been paying attention to the Colts for a while, you'll know that name. He interviewed for the head coaching position back in 2018. He's someone they had some interest in uh, even then. And so, what does this tell us? Okay, like. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm an expert in Jim Schwartz's defense, okay? But I can tell you a couple of things here. These are all four or three disciples, okay, all these guys. Uh, they also are guys who who understand the importance of pressure and have played, or excuse me, coached in places where they really generated a lot of pressure. If there's one criticism of Matt Eberflus, that could be one. I don't think he had the horses, maybe, but... But certainly, you would like to see them create more pressure. All of these guys have been places and worked on staffs where they created a lot of pressure. Chris Richard, and he's coming from New Orleans right now. Uh, and that staff, you know the defense that they have. He worked in Seattle. Uh, that goes without saying in, in previous years, the kind of pressure they developed. Jim Schwartz did it. Uh, he's really a, a guy who develops a lot of pressure, um, really focuses on the defensive line. Gus Bradley did it in, in Jacksonville and in Seattle. And so I think, is do you see a little bit of a recognition here? I mean, this is what you look for, right? You look for what are the common bonds here? What are the, the, the traits? And yeah. we don't know what these schemes are going to look like, but the Colts know what they got to do, don't they? Don't you get that sense here? Didn't Jacksonville tell you that? Yeah, and I think yeah. I think it's I think it's it's a humble pill to swallow is that they didn't get enough pressure this year and and like you I didn't think Eberflus had the horses I didn't think they had the pass rush personnel that they needed to have but that being said you know that's a different discussion for a different day but them recognizing that is very telling and I can tell you that came from the top that came from Jim Mercey as well that uh, maybe changing the scheme or at least the defensive identity is a good thing and I can tell you this one thing that is not going to change. And maybe Ballard is stubborn about this, but but I think I'm on board with this is is the turnover, the, the emphasis on turnovers. That's not going to change. They want to continue taking the ball away. That's a huge tenet of Ballard's defensive philosophy. And and a quick note on Matt Eberflus. Look, it's it's a credit to both him and Frank Reich that this worked out as well as it did. Both of those guys. Yes. It was an arranged marriage and it really did work out. I think they're both very good teachers. And I think the Colts fans that are glad that Eberflus is gone, be careful what you wish for because he was a really good teacher. You know, what are the characteristics we think of this defense? They tackle so much better than they did in 2015 and 16 and 17. Oh, my God. Thank like, you, you for saying that. Like, you think back to those defenses. Oh like, they God. were atrocious. 
This defense tackles well. It takes the ball away. And for the most part, it stops the run. Now, it didn't do that as well this year. They're not bringing back Brian Baker. His contract's up at the end of January, so he's not coming back either way. But just be careful what you wish for in terms of wanting to go back to a different scheme. Um, now, Eberflus had his flaws with his scheme, but for me, it was more personnel than it was the system that he ran that 4-3 Russian cover. But like you said, you mentioned a couple candidates, and just casually looking at these guys, you can tell I think there's going to be a focus on the defensive line, right? That's not going to change. We know what Chris Ballard believes in, and we know where they need to get better at. I would argue that that more than any part of their defense needs to get better is the pass rush. Um, Schwartz worked with Frank Reich in Philly during that magical run. They went to the Super Bowl. Schwartz's defense was really good that year. They had playmakers at all three levels, and he had the defensive line that forced the turnover at the end of the game that, that got the fumble out of Brady's hands that essentially sealed the Super Bowl. So they were fourth in points, fourth in yards, fourth in takeaways that year under Jim Schwartz. So he's coached really good defense, has been a DC for a long time, had that five-year run with the Lions, did go 11-5 and five one year with the Detroit Lions, which is no easy feat. Chris Harris is another guy. He's the defensive backs coach in Washington. This was a guy that was scouted coming out of college by none other than Chris Ballard. The Bears eventually took him in the sixth round. Young guy, would be more of a gamble, would be a first-time coordinator, but I think they're mixing a little bit of new with old. Joe Cullen's been a coach for 30 years with the Jags defensive coordinator last year, so um, they're going for some proven names, and they're going for some up-and-comers, and I think they want to really widen their search, talk to a lot of different guys, get a lot of different schemes in their minds about what would work with this personnel. Um, the one name we haven't heard is Wink Martindale, the you know the Ravens defensive coordinator. Now, it's not the same scheme. He's a 3-4, but he's a guy that brings a lot of pressure. He loves to blitz. That's something the Colts did not do under Matt Eberflus. I just wonder if he's being considered, and if he's not being considered, why? But it's going to be fascinating. The Colts don't have to do this necessarily quickly, but the sooner you get a DC in, the sooner you can get the staff in and get going. But this is, like I said earlier, this is going to be the biggest overhaul on the coaching staff since Frank Wright got here in 2018. No question about it. Uh, one, real quick, just to tie up what you just said. I think on week Martindale, I worry about the fit. I, I don't worry about the coaching. I, I think his results speak for themselves. I do worry about the fit because I don't think he has the personnel here in terms of the types of players to run his defense successfully. And I think I would worry about that. But but I think if you're looking at the landscape and who's out there, he's going to be pretty close to the top of the list if you're just looking at it just blindly uh, in terms of Taking scheme right. out of it, right? So I right. get it. Bar Ballard said he wasn't married to the four three scheme, but yeah. it seems like I mean, you spent four years drafting for it, so I get it. Yeah, and and the other thing I I would say too is I, I think flexibility is important in general when when you talk about defense. And I I learned this, or this was reinforced, I guess, over the weekend watching, for example, the Bengals. What did they do in? The second half. I remember watching the halftime show, and I forget which one of the analysts, maybe it might have been Cower or someone saying, okay, so what are the Bengals going to do? They have to decide whether they're going to blitz Mahomes and whether that's the right move. What did they do? They did the opposite. It was very interesting. They said, you know what? We're going to drop everybody in coverage, and we'll rush like three, maybe four, and we're just going to drop everybody, and we're going to make him work. And it freaking worked, okay? Hey. 
I mean, the end of the game, that one play where Mahomes had 10, 12 seconds to throw and nobody was open. Wow. He took, those were some of the worst sacks I've ever seen. And they don't happen without incredible coverage. They were playing just, I mean, out of their minds. And, and, and the play calling, uh, the defensive play calling was absolutely impeccable. They had the perfect calls at the right time. Uh, they really just stymied Patrick Mahomes. I've never seen him look more confused. I've seen him, I've seen teams get after him at the pass rush. We saw that in the Super Bowl, for example, right? With, uh, with the, the, the Buccaneers. I mean, the 49ers really did it a couple of years ago as well. But I've never seen him look that confused, like not knowing where to go with the ball. He, he did not know where to go. That was really just <laughs> a novel thing to see. So I don't know. I guess my point is, you know, don't get caught up in zone, man, blitz, not blitz. It's more about, you know, when you call the, the right stuff and and having some variety so that you can mix it up and you can you can confuse people. And, and they definitely did that with Mahomes. So uh, I just think I think they're going to have. They, they have guys that they're talking to who have been in different places in some of these instances and gotten a lot of different variety of experience. Uh, there is definitely, as I said, the, the Seattle influence is real. And I, I like that, the, the Legion of Boom era uh, Seattle, because there's a lot of carryover between what they do and what the Colts have Are done. Are trying to do. Well, right. In terms of the scheme, though, it, right. Some of the coverages and that kind of thing. They don't. They have. They don't have the same results. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> they don't have a prime Richard Sherman for one. But yeah. But I think in terms of the scheme, I, I understand where they're going there. Um, so we'll see. I, I I do think. I think you mentioned something important a little bit ago, and I'll I'll let you expand on it if you want. Um, you talked about, you know, the idea of of the emphasis on on getting after the quarterback coming from the top as it should. Um, I do think for me, this suggests, and I hope I'm right about this, that they understand, or at least Jim Mercer understands that they have to be more open-minded about everything. Because I do think that's one of the criticisms of Chris Ballard generally. And Frank Wright kind of just goes along with it. Chris Ballard is, he can be stubborn. He can be stubborn. He he believes what he believes. It usually is right. He's usually his instincts are usually right, but not always. Is there is there just an overall need? Do you think to just be more flexible? Whether it's about scheme or style or measure or uh, metrics or um, you know spending or whatever philosophy, all of that. What do you think? Let's look at let's look at two different teams. To answer your question, so let's compare the Colts with the Bengals. Bengals are AFC champs. As, as strange as are you looking at my notes? Because yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> no, but this is. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday, watching the end of that game. So, with with the exception of an elite running back, both teams have great running backs in Mixon and Taylor. They couldn't be more different. They could yeah. not be more different. The Bengals have a stud at quarterback, and they have the studs at the skill position players, the wide receivers he's got to throw to. They have a shit offensive line that's going to get really killed eventually. <laughs> they really do. And yeah. and 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 they, you know, one of the guys they went out and got last year, Hendrickson, the the defensive end. I actually had him on a, one of the lists that I thought yeah, the Colts like might go him. after and get, and, and they should have because he had 14 sacks this year. So, um, you know, the Bengals went out and spent a little bit of money, and and they're just I offensively the identity is almost opposite of what the Colts are. 
And that should be worrisome. And that answers your question about Ballard's flexibility. And, and Frank is on board with this too. And I asked him one time, why are you all in on the offensive line as a head coach? As opposed to, you know, Frank doesn't talk about the receivers as, you know, they really be, they're really all in on the offensive line. And yeah. he's like, look, I was a quarterback. We need to protect the passer. I get that. I understand that. But it seems like the Colts are built to win in 1982. And the Bengals are built to win in 2022. And the Bengals mm. are winning right now. They're in the AFC they're the AFC champs. They're in the Super Bowl, for God's sake. And and no, you don't have a Joe Burrow. And you don't really have the possibility of getting a Joe Burrow. But just look away the, the, the two teams are... Remember the big dis- debate last year for the Bengals? Should they go Jamar Chase, wide receiver, or Penny Sewell, yeah. the, the left tackle? And it's like, wait a minute. Like, given the choice, you go stud receiver every time because of what Jamar Chase can do. And Sewell is going to be a great player, I'm sure, for the Lions. But... The reality is one team's to built is, is built to run the ball in a throwback style and the other team's built to, to throw it. And and it's just it's really obvious which team is doing it well and which team's flaws were exposed late in the season. What do you think about all that? Yeah, no, first of all, I want to say I, I I was thinking about this like this is how sad my life is. Um this occurred to me laying in bed this morning. You know who I think <laughs> of when I see Jamar Chase, particularly on on these 50-50 balls? Terrell Owens, <laughs> like he is like physically, he Man, is peak T.O. was a monster. Yeah, yeah. He's not that, but like he not yet, but I think he can be. Um, he, he just has like physically, you know, like T.O. was just he would he'd go up and he'd take a ball out of the air over your, off your head, you know, and that's what this kid can do. He's just so physically gifted and and physically intimidating that um yeah, he, he's just him and Debo Samuel, by the way. Just, I mean, those two guys are the future of the league right now, which yeah. uh, it's just so fun to watch. But anyway, getting sticking to the point, I agree with you. I think that it is interesting. Today's NFL, and a lot of this is sort of evolving, right? So we have to maybe shift our thinking, and it's okay to not realize it right away. But I do think these are conversations worth having. Today's NFL – there is, I think it begs the question, do we need to sort of reevaluate which positions we value? You know, and, and I'm I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that that offensive line doesn't matter because I also agree I think Burrow is going to get murdered <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Yeah, not, and Von not Miller, in terms Aaron of Donald, yeah. Yeah, just in just in terms of the matchup, right? I just think the the Rams strength is the Bengals' biggest weakness, but he's transcended that that offensive line all year. So who knows, you know, maybe he can overcome that because I'll say this there, they don't have enough DBs to cover the talent that the Bengals have. So they better get to him. Jalen Ramsey, notwithstanding, by the way, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is phenomenal, but they only have one Jalen Ramsey, you know? So anyway, I don't want to make, I don't want to make this a Super Bowl preview, but that is interesting. So, I agree with you. I think there there is an argument that we need to step back and say, okay, um, Quentin Nelson's great, um, and I, I do think Quentin Nelson has uh, they're better. They're certainly much better with him than without him, right? But but I think it's easier to replace that spot than it is yep. to replace a Jamar Chase. You know what I mean? If you if you had to take one guy off of off of the well, let me put it this way. If you had to take Jamar Chase off of the Bengals roster and you took Quentin Nelson off of the Colts roster, what do you think would be – who do you think would be more irreplaceable, you know? 
Um, Would you I rather did. have a Hall of Fame wide receiver or a Hall of Fame left guard? It's not even close. And that's yeah. not a knock on left guards, but especially today when, when teams are throwing it as much as they are, I mean, you take the yeah. receiver all day. And, and here's the thing. I, I think it's not even that they have to choose necessarily because they have a pretty good foundation up front. They, they don't have stop to pass skimping. Rush. They got to yeah. stop skimping at the wide receiver in, in tight ends position. You can't just roll the dice on Zach Paschal and Ashton Doolin and, and hope it works out in December because it's just it's bitten you in the ass too many times the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think I look at it this way. Look, um, like I said, they don't necessarily have to choose. They they drafted Ryan Kelly. They got him. He's here. They got Quentin Nelson. He's here. Okay, <laughs> you you're not looking for these guys. You got them. So now you've got to you have an op, you have opportunities each year to deal with the rest of it. All right, I, it's fine. They did it in a different order. The Bengals are gonna the, the, trust me. The Bengals are gonna be. The rest of this entire offseason for them is going to be focused on protecting Burrow. Okay, let's be clear. So they'll be doing that too. Okay. However, they just did things in a reverse order, partly because they got the quarterback and all that. I guess, you know, it's a different situation, right? So I don't want to, it's apples to oranges, maybe. But the point is, the Colts did theirs in a different order. It's like doing a math problem with a different order of operations or something. You get the same answer, hopefully, but you can do it differently, right? But the Colts aren't, they haven't really done the other parts of the equation yet. They did their one part at the beginning. They got the, they they bulked up up front. They got the big guys. I think, as you said, they haven't done the other part of the equation and gotten the skill and, and perimeter talent. And one, I'm rambling here, but let me just say one quick thing um, before I let you have a word. Um, I look at Debo Samuel. I look at, you know, Jamar Chase. And, and then I look at, um, look at the Colts, and I look at JT, Jonathan Taylor, who I think the world of. I do wonder. There, here's another question, right? So they have Jonathan Taylor, and and I'm glad they have him. I think the question is, who's more what, – what, what makes your team more indefensible? You know, is it that elite running back or is it that elite wide receiver paired with a good quarterback, obviously? <laughs> but, I mean – Let's say this, like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a very average quarterback. Okay, I think he's okay. He, he's okay. I don't think I don't think he sucks. I don't think he's elite. I think he's kind of average. Uh, and I think over the course of the playoffs, I think that's pretty much what he proved. Right. Um, yeah. Now here's the thing: What would he be if he had Jonathan Taylor as his elite player, replacing Debo Samuel, but give him? You know, Zach Pascal instead of Debo as a receiver. But he's got Jonathan Taylor, so great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is he gonna be as successful? No. I think he, I think no. I, I just think no. Um, it goes back to their style, the style of play, and whether it is sustainable long term. It's it it's probably not, is what we're saying. Right? And, I mean, and do you agree? Yeah, and, and to counter that with the other team playing in the Super Bowl, it's it's a team that was built the complete opposite way of the Colts are doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can't knock the Rams' aggression now because they put all their chips in the table and, and they're, they're in the Super Bowl and their home stadium. And, you know, I was thinking about what you were just talking about in terms of like having weapons in the backfield versus out wide. And it's like, well, so Robert Woods goes down and Robert Woods is a really good player. And, and they've got the best receiver <laughs> in the league right now in Cooper Cup. And he is an absolute stud. I mean – that dude gets open better than anybody in the league. It's unbelievable. And then what does OBJ do? Like OBJ fills in that role that Robert Woods. And so they've got two guys in the perimeter 
and that's been so clutch for Matthew Stafford. I mean, the Rams, they don't even believe in first-round picks. And the yeah. Colts, meanwhile, are doing this patient, methodical build for what? For one playoff win in five years? To build a good roster that has seven pro bowlers that can't even beat the Jaguars in, in January? So the the beauty of this league and the fun part is you've got two teams in the Super Bowl that were built in completely different ways, that were constructed completely differently. And, and, and then in the vein of the Colts and how this matters to Indianapolis, it's I think they have to take a long look at the way they've built this team and the manner of which they've they've spent their money and their capital. And and I think Ursay needs to tell these guys that they need to change some things up. I think it's very obvious. And I think these playoffs, not just yesterday, but these playoffs as a whole are a reflection of where the league is going and what works. And look, the, the Colts are not going to land a, a stud quarterback this offseason. I, I don't expect that to happen. I don't think Wilson right. or Rodgers happens. Let's just proceed with that assumption. You're going to have to deal with an average quarterback. How do you help an average quarterback? You need to make sure everything is right around him and then just see as far as you can go. I think Wentz obviously has limitations if he's back, but the very least you've got to do is help around him and give him more weapons than just Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. And I think it's an indictment of the way the Colts have built their skill positions around their quarterback the last couple of years. And it's never been more obvious to me how far that gap is. Their way their way of winning is not winning in the NFL right now. Teams that yeah. slug it out and win in the trenches and run the ball 25 times a game. That's not what the Bengals do, and it's not what the Rams do. They throw the ball all, all over the yard, and that's what's winning. So I think I think it's, it's an interesting time, and it's going to be fascinating to see. We'll talk to the Colts decision makers in a month on March 1st at the Combine. We'll talk to Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, and I will be interested to see you know, what they think about what the playoffs taught them and how they built their roster and how that changes things moving forward because the leash is a little bit shorter now after the way this season ended. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here's why I almost think that missing the playoffs in a way could have a benefit to them because it has forced them to go back and dig in and really ask some tough questions. Yeah. They would have gotten the playoffs, maybe I'm won a you. game. They might have won a game, okay? It would have been very, very possible for them to go beat somebody in the first round of the playoffs. And then you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself, even if you lose in the second round. I'm not saying you, you get a parade or anything, but like, all right, you win a wild card game, you, you know, with with a, you know, with a, a sort of a half-ass quarterback. <laughs> I mean, you got, you probably feel pretty good about yourself. There's probably fewer questions about Wentz and you kind of like, you know, like the cliche says, you're whistling past the graveyard, you know? <laughs> and so, anyway, I think there's almost a blessing in disguise that they lost. And and this goes for me, too, because this forced me to ask myself some questions, you know, about how I see this team. I think everybody associated with this team, fan, media, uh, player, coach, etc., everybody has had to ask those tough questions. And that is actually a good thing. So when I look at the playoff teams, and I – sort of say, all right, well, as you just outlined very well, who's doing it? Who's who's in the Super Bowl? It's the teams that are playing definitely, you know, the the new millennium football, right? That style of football, for sure. The other thing is the one team in the playoffs that I think most resembled the Colts was the 49ers. I think yeah. they have a lot in common, right? And they but were limited even, at the end. Right, exactly. That's the first point. They were. It, it wasn't enough because when the Rams finally put their – but when they put the pedal to the floor, they couldn't keep up with that. They just could not, right? So that's the first thing, even though they had fared very well against them in the in the uh, regular season. The other thing is, if you look at, if you really look at that 49ers team, they're better. They're better. Their talent's better. And and I don't mean maybe top to bottom, but they have some things the Colts don't have. First yeah, of all, they have Nick Bosa, they have a pass rush, exactly. they have Samuel on the outside. And the crazy part is, and, and I'm sure you thought and about George this. And George Kittle, by yeah. the way, who the yeah. Colts did not play against in that regular season meeting. 30 to 18, the Colts won pretty easily that day. Yeah, that, I the don't rain. think the I, I think the the 49ers were going through a lot at that time. Uh, they hadn't figured it out. Kyle Shanahan figured it out eventually, you know, and, and he really started using Debo in different ways and and expanding how they use him, which I think is genius, by the way. Like, don't ever, don't ever let people tell you that that scheme and play calling um, doesn't matter. It matters a lot, and I think it sh- it shows you. I think Frank. I'm getting off the subject, but I, I I do think Frank Reich he could do a lot more of that stuff if he had if he had a quarterback he could trust. And I think he, I think Shanahan trusts Jimmy G a little more than. Frank Reich was able to trust Carson Wentz. Um, but he's just had such a unique tool in Debo. Oh, my God. I mean, he just – he right. can do things there that that you can't do with any other player. But anyway, I just think that that team, they have some pieces that the Colts don't have. And even for them, they could only take it so far. 
Um, so the Colts have to ask themselves, you know, how far can we really go? And and I think that is, again, maybe the blessing in disguise of all of this. You know, I, I don't think anyone would have said that three weeks ago, but I'm starting to think it's true. I think that's a really good point. And, and this is something that just popped in my mind that Jim Irsay told me a couple of weeks ago. He said, listen, if you don't learn through failure, what are you going to learn from? I mean, yeah. he's he's really adamant about this being a a lesson through all of this, a really, really hard lesson, an embarrassing lesson, right? As Chris Ballard said, we embarrassed our team, we embarrassed our city, we embarrassed our owner and our fans. And um, it's going to make them take a long look at how they built this roster, how they think you need to win in this league right now, and what it's going to take to fix it, because these are not easy solutions. And you mentioned there's a lot of similarities in how the Colts play and the 49ers play. But like you said, star tight end, star pass rusher, I mean, those things, and, and there's and like a weapon on, on, on offense, Debo Samuel, that can do just about anything, right? The Colts don't yeah. have that top end playmaker talent at those critical positions, right? Those critical positions in today's league. And it's like, I was explaining to this to someone the other day, and it's like, yeah, the Colts are a, a pretty well built team, except for the fact that they have huge question marks at three of the most important positions in the game in mm-hmm. <laughs> pass rush, and left tackle, and at quarterback. And until they figure those things out, they're going to be in this weird nine and eight spot that doesn't really have a, a resolution. And maybe you get lucky and make a playoff run, but I still think the limitations are there. And that's what they need to figure out because those are the hardest answers to find starting with quarterback. No question. No question. So it's a really interesting thing. And I I think one of the things that that is very important as a football fan, and and definitely this goes for us too as media, is to focus on the entire league. There are a lot of lessons out there. And and I think a lot of times, like I'll give you an example, Matt Eberflus. All right, you watch some of these defenses – letting teams go up and down the field in the playoffs and like, all right, why are you mad at Matt Eberflus? You know what I mean? It's like, it, that's, that's the league today. It's on some level. I'm not saying that's okay. It's not okay. But my point is there are lessons to be learned there. And, and I think on the other side of that coin is some of the stuff we've been talking about now, which is look, philosophically, they are in a very different place than some of these other teams. And I, I do think it is very important to not have tunnel vision and only focus on that one team that you're associated with. It's very important to to look at things globally and you learn a lot. And I think it makes you think sometimes, you know, um, you know, and, and, and you have to understand the difference between players. Obviously different coaches have different players with different strengths. So that's going to influence how they play. Right. But at the same time um, there's no question that, they're they're playing definitely a different brand of football. And I can tell you, uh, at the highest levels of the organization, they have been asking themselves this question about whether their approach is sustainable. And I, I don't think anything we've seen in the playoffs suggests that it is. Yeah, that's the takeaway from this last month of football is, yep. is how are you going to change? How are you going to fix these things? And how is 2022 going to be different than 2021? Because it has to be. And I think Frank's trying to ask those questions to himself. And I think Ballard's doing the same thing about, you know, he, he, you know, the pass rush situation, you know, going Eric Fisher over Charles Leno Jr. Like those, those were mistakes. I mean, that's an obvious mistake. So um, that's going to be a long, hard look. And and I'm interested because we're going to see some change for the first time in a couple of years. We're going to see some sizable change on what this team looks like. Yeah. So it just, it goes to show you, I mean, I think, you know, we get a lot of questions like, why don't you guys ever 
Man, why do you guys always, you know, act like Ballard's so great? And well, I mean, I think he has proven he has a pretty good eye for talent, right? I mean, there's no question he has made some very, some very shrewd moves and and really strong draft picks. You cannot, you know, you 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 can knock some of the draft picks, but everybody misses. So I think both things can be true, which is what I always say. He he can be a very astute judge of talent and also have some blind spots, and I think. That's that's fine. And and the good thing is, I think he's got an owner that will not let him act like the smartest guy in the room. I don't think Chris Ballard does that anyway, but he definitely does have strong beliefs. What you have to do is be willing to be flexible. And I think that's where this situation of missing the playoffs, it may be beneficial. It's going to force everybody in the organization to say, hmm, maybe we're not right. You know, and I think that is a very healthy thing. So anyway, uh, we didn't want to be on here too long because uh, it's the off season, So we got other things to do. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I did want to touch real quickly just on on Tom Brady. I he it's so he retired, didn't retire over the weekend, I guess. But uh, we know it's I think it's coming. Um, I hope so, because I wrote a whole long column about it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to run at some point. Anyway. Um, I think you have good perspective on this. You lived that Brady Manning era in Indianapolis. Um, what will your memory of Tom Brady be if he indeed does retire uh, as someone who followed the Colts, you know, through your lifetime? Uh, what's your main takeaway of Tom Brady's career? Yeah, I mean, I was a sophomore in high school when he took over the Patriots offense, which is crazy. I mean, 22 crazy. years ago, it's just like it's been such a steady force in this league. Um he he's the most accomplished player of all time. I mean, the greatest quarterback of all time, right? When I think of Brady, I think of the winningest quarterback of all time. And I think of Peyton having all those struggles in the playoffs against him. And then I think Andrew Luck kind of went through the same thing. Now, Peyton got over the hump and finished with a pretty good, I think it was a 3-1 and record against Brady's teams by the end in the AFC Championship game. But Andrew Luck never got over the hump. And, they, and those guys were never, you know, I remember Luck walking through the tunnels in Foxborough after that AFC championship game loss, just saying, God, it always feels the same in this building. Hmm. And and that's that was a depressing feeling for him and for all the fans watching at home. But what a run for Tom Brady. And I think the most staggering thing in all of this for me is how he played this season at the age of 44. He's going to go out at the top of his game playing as well as he ever has. At this age, it proves that all of his stuff works. All the all the weird training, all the weird eating. I mean, look at what he's doing at 44. We saw Drew Brees fall off. We saw Peyton fall off. All those guys started to fall off at 38, 39, 40. What Brady was able to do this year, I think 47 touchdowns and five interceptions or something like that. Yeah, 43 touchdowns this year. It's crazy. That's absurd. So, um, Andrew Luck's career high was 40, to give you some perspective. I I think that's the biggest takeaway is that he's walking out at the top of his game at the age that he's doing that's that'll never be never be duplicated yeah uh so i'll i'll selfishly plug my column that hasn't run yet again (laughs) but one of the things i did was i I looked back at other greats you know um jordan tiger serena you know they, they all go by just first they go by a single name right they don't even need first and last names that's how great they were and you made a, an excellent point that Brady playing the way he did at the end is so remarkable. 
All of those others, none of them did that. You know, what was Michael Jordan by the time he retired? He needed to retire. It was kind of like, all right, Mike, what, what are we really doing here? You know, uh, he was still a, he was still a productive player. Don't get me wrong. But he, he couldn't put a team on his back at that point. You know, and he wasn't the same player. He wasn't the same athlete. Um, Tiger, we know, has obviously he's in a different situation now after the accident. But just physically, he hasn't been the same guy. You know that story, um, despite some some obvious highlights in recent years. And Serena Williams, I look at her, you know, she has physically really, really struggled in recent years. She is phenomenal. She's one of the greatest athletes in history. Age takes a toll, man. It really takes a toll. This guy transcended that. That is just incredible to me. Incredible to be able to do that. I mean, he's like George Foreman. He's the George Foreman of of, of football, you know, he's out there boxing at like 51 years old or something. Not well, but he was doing it. <laughs> yeah, Brady was doing it well. <laughs> he was doing it really well, you know. So uh, yeah, it's just it's unbelievable. I, I don't I don't know. I think that's really maybe that's another story. What was the who's the best athlete that played? Who are the athletes that played really well at, at really advanced ages? You know, there's not, yeah, I mean, it's not like, a long list. Barry Sanders retired at the top of his game, but he was so yeah, young. I mean, exactly. considering and, and that's that's the difference is that Brady did this for 22 years and. I can't. I still can't believe they won a, a championship with the Bucks. Like he went to the the yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won a Super Bowl his first year. Yeah, wild, wild. Seven and nine, two world champs, <laughs> and only thing changed was one guy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, so anyway, it, it's I I tell you know I tell my kids like look you know you got to understand what you're seeing here. You know I told my son and it's like you know you have lived in a you've lived a lifetime where you've seen. I mean, I was, I was going to say he saw Michael Jordan, but like he was like two years old. But like, you know, he was at least familiar. He, he, he grew up in an era where Jordan was still relevant and, and was still a force in, in sports. And so, so, you know, at the beginning of your life, he's, he's 22 years old now. He's, so it's like, all right, you saw Michael Jordan. You've seen Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, LeBron James, Steph Curry. Like, they, I mean, these, this is not stuff to take for granted. You know what I mean? Like, do not take this stuff for granted. Because it's going to be a very different NFL. There's no question. It's going to be a very different NFL when you know there's a guy, the the guy who everybody was worried about is now gone. It it's literally like it's like Michael Jordan retiring, and you're like, whoo, glad he's gone. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're the other 31 teams, there's no question they're glad Brady's he's gone. gone. Manning's gone. Breeze is gone. Rivers is gone. Big Ben is gone. It's it's the a new, new era. era. Yeah. And they're in good hands because they got Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and, and Joe Burrow, and it's going to be fun. But but like I'm here for it. But to put it full circle, the game's changing, and these guys can do some of what some of those older guys couldn't do, and that's what's fun. And I mean, the Bengals won six games in, in two years before this season, mm-hmm. and they're playing for the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks in Los Angeles. That's why football is amazing. Didn't see this coming, but Joe Burrow is that guy. Like he is that guy right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. So anyway, hope that uh, gives you your Colts fix. Even though there was a lot of non-Colts in there, but you know, it's all, it all ties together. So um, we'll be back. Like I said, periodically. I think when we have some news here in the coming weeks, we'll probably chime in with another episode and update you on some of our thoughts. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I'm heading off to Mobile, Alabama. Um, you know, that uh, prime destination that it is. 
the Senior Bowl is in effect this week, so we'll see. That the Colts are they're obviously on the lookout for some talent, and you know I can't promise you there's going to be a franchise quarterback there, but uh, <laughs> nor can I promise you they have the draft capital to get one. But anyhow, uh, they're always looking, and and I'll be down there this week with some of the Colts personnel, seeing uh, what they're looking for, and some of the other NFL teams personnel as well. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Pro Bowl next weekend, I guess. Got some Colts in there if you are inclined to give a damn about the Pro Bowl. So <laughs> I'm not, but uh, hey, you do you. Uh, anyway, I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better. Thanks for listening.